Take your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 95 today, Psalm 95. Well, we're going to continue our series of messages in the book of Psalms. Uh, This is our fifth message, and uh, we've titled it from uh, taking a play off of a hymn, This Is My Story, This Is My Song, and we're calling this series of messages, This Is My Story, This Is My Psalm. Trying to find out a little bit of the background behind some of these psalms, and and it's not going to be a true series where we start with number one and go through 150, uh, and we're not trying to find a chronological order. It truly is as the Lord leads from week to week, and we'll probably pause on this study at some point and do something else for a while and then come back to it. And so this is our fifth message, and, and I wanted, and I was praying that God would lead me, and certainly there's many uh, possibilities in, this, in the Psalms, I wanted to bring a message of of praise was really my thought and my heart. I wanted to find a psalm where we could get that aspect from it. And I looked at several, and um, the Lord just seemed to really plant this particular psalm in my heart and did some study this past week and looking forward to how the Lord works in our hearts here today. Psalm 95 through 100 uh, are a, a, a brief series of messages that deal with praise. In fact, just look at the first few verses of each psalm. We'll just read one or two verses from each psalm. But look at Psalm 95. It says, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Psalm 96, verse 1. O sing unto the Lord a new song, and sing unto the Lord all the earth. The 97th psalm. Uh, look down in verse number Uh, One, it says, the Lord reigneth, let the earth rejoice. Let the multitudes of the isles be glad thereof. Psalm 98, oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. And then Psalm 99, got to drop down to verse number three. Let them praise thy great and terrible name. And then Psalm 100, you might be familiar with that one. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands. Now these are not all the psalms that focus on praise, but there's a little portion here from Psalm 95 through 100. In fact, the, 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 the last uh, five psalms of this book are all about praise. Psalm 146 through 150, you'll see that word over and over there. This particular psalm is what we would consider an orphan psalm. We're not sure who, who the human author is. Uh, At least it's not given to us in this particular chapter, nor is it given to us in the superscription of Psalm 95. But in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, this psalm is quoted, and it gives credit to to David, the sweet psalmist. And so we don't know a lot of its background. We don't know where David was at in his life during this time, but we do believe David is the author, although it's not stated here in this particular psalm. But let's go ahead and read these, uh, these 11 verses, and then let me make some comments, and we'll get into our thoughts here this morning. O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving, and, with a, and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth the strength of the hills is also is his also the sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land oh come let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker for he is our god and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand 
Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation, said it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath that they should not enter into my rest." When I was a kid, growing up, I had a buddy that lived down the road from me, about a half mile, mile away. We went to church together. His family was in our church, and so he was down the road from me, and I would often call down there to see if my buddy could play outside that day. His name was John Paul, uh, John Paul Mullins, and we, I called him John Paul all my life, and then he got shortened to JP at some point by a baseball coach, and he was known as JP to many people. And so I would call almost every afternoon after school or in the summer when we would get up and about in our day, I would call down there to see if John Paul could play outside today. Uh, that's been 40-some years ago or nearly 40-some nearly years ago, and I can still remember his phone number, 327-3102. His mom would answer, hello, can John Paul play outside? I guess, come on down, Mark. And I would make my way down there to their house. We would ride bikes all over the neighborhood. We would play baseball in baseball season, basketball or football, whatever the season was. Uh, across from his house was woods. And we, did, we rode bikes through the trails there. We made forts in the woods. How many of you have ever made a fort in the woods? Man, isn't that a great thing? We built tree forts and we, uh, we, we just had a great time. Now, when it was time to be done playing, when it was time to come home, his mom had installed a big bell outside their back door. And uh, she'd reach out there and had the dinger in it with the rope on it, and she'd clang that thing a bunch of times. And, and no matter where we were, and they knew they had to stay within distance of hearing the bell. And wherever we were, John Paul would drop everything and say, I got to go home. And uh, I don't know how he knew that so well. I think one time he didn't go home when the bell rang, and he found out, I better get home when the bell rings. And so he knew to go. I would try to entice him. No, let's stick around for it. She won't know. No, I got to get home. When the bell rang, it was time to get there. It reminded me of those old, uh, the chuck wagon uh, guys, you know, and had that triangle. And boy, the cowboys came running when that was there because it meant it was dinner time. And so uh, this was like an invitation. It was a, a proclamation, come home. And this is what this psalm is like. Notice verse 1 again. It says there, the very first words, O come. And then again in verse number 6, O come. It's an invitation. It's like a bell ringing for us to get our attention on some matters. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about come and participate if I gave it a subtitle or another thought, I want to talk to you today about true biblical worship. This invitation to worship the Lord. So come and participate with me today. Now when we think of worship, maybe a lot of things come to your mind. And maybe some of it's correct. Maybe you have some misunderstandings about it. But let me just start with these two thoughts here today, that true biblical worship, number one, will never contradict the scriptures. This is where we find out about worship. 
It's not from an individual. It's not from a church. It's not from a denomination. It's not from a culture. True biblical worship, we learn about it, and it will not contradict the scriptures. And then another thought is this. True biblical worship will not highlight the person over our God. We're worshiping God. We want to exalt him, and we don't want ourselves to become the the object of that. So with those things in mind, much of what I want would, would, would see, uh, what one would see as worship fails in these two areas. Sometimes it's just not biblical, or other times it highlights that individual. But I believe here in Psalm 95, we can get a true biblical example about and learn what uh, uh, true worship is. In fact, I want to give you three thoughts this morning. This invitation, number one, a call to rejoice. Number two, a call to reverence. And then number three, a call to respond. Number one, a call to rejoice. Two, a call to reverence. And then number three, a call to respond. Let's talk about number one this morning for a few moments. A call to rejoice. First of all, notice the pattern of rejoicing in our passage of Scripture here. It speaks of, in verse number one, let us sing unto the Lord. Verse number one, let us make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Verse number two, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. And again, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We see a pattern on how to rejoice or to lift up our praises to the Lord. He mentions, first of all, singing. Uh, We've had some beautiful singing this morning from the congregation. You've done a wonderful job of singing, and that is a form and a type of worship. It's not just about a song. It's about the message of a song and the way that it's sung. And, And that can be honoring and pleasing to the Lord. We want to make sure the music is, again, within the bounds of the Scripture, Make sure that the music does not highlight the individual more than God, but that music is a way that we can show our our, our praise and our worship to the Lord. He then mentions joyful noise. That's for all of us that can't sing, all right? We can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I made mention of this the other day, uh, but uh, uh, our live stream, if it's not on a microphone, they don't get to hear everything. And one time uh, here recently uh, during the invitation, uh, Jana was playing a beautiful song and I wanted us to sing it. And so I began to lead it and I wanted you all to jump in there and sing and you did, but all they heard on the live stream was my ugly voice on there. And uh, uh, one of our families was out of town that day and they were watching the live stream and they were like, oh, oh. And the one looked at his wife and he said, well, God's not blessed him with a singing voice, obviously. I have a joyful noise. But it also means to shout. It means to proclaim. And so we can bring worship, we can bring praise through our singing, but by also shouting. Shouting. Somebody's getting it here. Shouting. There we go. That is a way of showing, rejoicing, and praising. Now, again, we don't want it to be outside the bounds of Scripture. We don't want to highlight a person more than God. But it is a way of us giving worship to the Lord. A third option here in this pattern of rejoicing is by giving thanks. 
um, spending a moment thanking God. It's recognizing from whom all our blessings flow and come. And so it's a, a, a time of giving thanks. Now we also see in this passage of Scripture the person that we are rejoicing about, that we're praising to. Verse number 1 again, it says there, Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of, your, of our salvation. Uh, verse number 2, it says, Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto, the, unto Him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God. This is the person, this is the one that we direct our praise to. I love the picture, and if we see it throughout the scriptures and throughout the Psalms, of Jesus or as the Lord as our rock. It's that one that we can climb up to, onto, that one that can bring us above the difficulties of life. And this is the one that we want to rejoice. This passage goes on beyond the pattern and the person of rejoicing, and it tells us the why of rejoicing. We'll learn in this passage in these first five verses that he's a great God, that he's a great king. He's above all gods. In his hands are the deep places. In other words, those things that go beyond our understanding, he knows all about them. And we can trust him for that. In this passage of scripture, it even highlights our God as the creator of this world. And so we, we rejoice we glorify, we worship Him because of these reasons. And so what we have in these first five verses is the outward display of biblical worship or in this form of praise. Now, when we think about worship, it's often dictated by our backgrounds, our locations from whence we've come, our cultures. In fact, sometimes... The worship can be different from culture to culture, family to family, and still be within the bounds of Scripture, still be uh, not highlighting the person and still highlighting God. I've had the privilege of being in West Africa, Cape Verde, West Africa. I'm going to tell you, worship's a little different there. I don't think it's outside the bounds of Scripture, and I don't think it was highlighting the person, but it's different than what I was used to, and it was enjoyable. I couldn't understand a word they were saying. And I was weeping. I was lifting my hand up to the Lord during their song service. Several years ago, I was in Haiti down in the Caribbean. And I was on a Saturday afternoon, and I was helping doing, moving some things around on the, the property of this church. And I had gone up into a, a storage unit up these stairs, and, and on my way down, I heard this beautiful singing in this long uh, uh, tin building that was long on the property there, and it was their church choir practice on a Saturday afternoon. It was hot. It was miserable. It had a tin roof. I couldn't imagine what it would have felt like inside of that building there. And I heard this, this beautiful sound coming out. In fact, I had my old phone and I held it up over there and I recorded it for a while. And again, I didn't understand any of their words, but it was beautiful worship. Somewhere in the middle, they made a mistake and they all stopped. It came to a screeching halt and they started laughing and rejoicing. It was just a great time of worship. And so cultures are different. Even in America, it can be different, right? I was a youth pastor in New England for eight years in the beginning of my ministry up in New Hampshire. And we weren't just this very formal church, but it's a little bit more reserved up in New England in the churches. 
And I took 25 or 30 teenagers to a youth conference down in Tennessee one time. And at the very beginning of the service, uh, you know, they say, turn to number 82. Amen, preacher, go, you know, and they start amening and preaching and waving their Bibles. Within about 30 seconds, I had about 30 teenagers just sitting there with their eyes as big as silver dollars. And they're turning around, are we in the right place? Are we allowed to be here? I said, it's okay. Just enjoy. After those three days of being there, I had teenagers waving their Bibles at the preacher and and getting involved with it. From culture to culture, place to place, it can be different. But it needs to stay within the bounds of the scriptures. Highlight the Savior, not the individual. And so here we have this beautiful passage of scripture that does these things, that shows us. And so let us sing, let us rejoice, let us shout, let us give thanks to the rock of our salvation, to the Lord, our great God, our great King, who is above all and is in control of all. A call to rejoice. But there's also in this passage of Scripture a call to reverence. A call to reverence. Notice the turn here in verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. We'll pick up there in verse 7 in just a moment, but here's another aspect of worship, and it's not in conflict or contradiction to anything I just said. It's just another aspect of true biblical worship. At times, true biblical worship leads us in the Spirit and it would cause us to explode with rejoicing. And then there are times with true biblical worship where it causes us to bow our hearts, bow our knees. Maybe it's not a public display, but it's an inner working in our hearts where the Lord stirs, the Lord moves. By the way, I believe all true biblical worship, whether public or not, begins in the heart. God begins to work and move in your heart. You've been in a service before where maybe it wasn't a a, a loud shouting service, but God was moving in your heart. It moved you to emotion. Perhaps you were weeping, and that's how it was displayed with tears coming down your cheeks. I don't want to put them on the spot too much, but... Jeff and Desiree, we spent some time with them, the folks that were baptized this morning, and and Desiree has had a rough couple of years. She's had an aggressive form of cancer that really by the the doctor's statistics should have taken her. She's spent time away from her family down in Texas getting treatments, and she was explaining to us and talking about these things and how God has brought her through this and how God is delivering her through this. And you know how she expressed that? And her heart was overwhelmed and her heart was rejoicing and, and many tears. She's like, oh, I got to quit crying. I got to I said, don't quit crying. That's, that's God working in the heart of an individual. And it brings a reverence. It brings a, a quietness. And so there may be a time where we're rejoicing, but there's also a time of just quiet reverence, recognizing what God has done. This morning, as Angela sang that song, God's Been Good, that's, that's where I was in my heart. 
I was reviewing in my life, just looking through the pages of my life and throughout the ages of my life, from my child all the way to my, my, my 51 years old now, oh man, God's been good to me all along the way. And just in the quietness of my heart, there was worship. There was rejoicing in my heart. And so there's a call to rejoice. There's a call to reverence. But let's not forget this aspect of true biblical worship. A call to respond. And when I mention the word respond, I'm talking about submitting and obeying the Lord. It's interesting here in verse 7, the last part, he says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, and as in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my work, forty years long was I grieved with this generation." He takes us back to the Exodus, doesn't he? He takes us back to when the children of Israel have been delivered out of Egypt in a miraculous fashion. And then the children of Israel begin to grumble, complain, not trust God, not believe God to the point where it's time to go across into the land of promise. And they say, nope, we're not going to believe you, God. We're not going to follow you. And God leaves that generation, that unbelieving generation, for 40 years in the wilderness. And so there's this disobedience to the direction of God. True biblical worship is rejoicing. True biblical worship is reverence. But true biblical worship is also responding. It's obeying what a, what a shame it would be to be in a service and to wave your Bible, have your heart touched, shout amen, and then not obey God. Not allow God to, to change you and to, move, to, 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 to do what he wants to do in your life. That, that Those other things mean nothing if there's not the response. And so when prompted by the Lord to res, and to respond in obedience is an act of worship. I can remember a time in my life as a, as a senior in high school. God was working in my heart. I was in a rebellious state in my life. And God had been working in my heart. And I had surrendered at a younger age uh, to go into the ministry. And several years after that decision to surrender to the ministry, I did everything I could to fight against going into the ministry. I wanted to do anything else but the ministry. And we were at a church service one night, and the Lord got a hold of my heart. I was sitting down in that second row of that, of that, of that pew, and it was one of those invitations that had, had a song that was playing. That, that particular song of that invitation had 99 verses that day. They just kept going and going. I kept telling myself I could just make it one more verse as the Spirit of God was working on my heart. And I had a hold of that pew in front of me, and I was holding on. And finally I submitted. And I got up out of that pew and I came to the altar. I had been in such a rebellious state and a rebellious way. My dad came down to the altar and he says, Mark, do you want to get saved now? And I said, Dad, I am saved. I just got to surrender to preach. And he says, well, amen. We'll do it finally because you're making us all miserable. And that day I surrendered my heart to the Lord in obedience. I responded to the moving of God in my heart. So church, worship is a call to rejoice. 
a call to reverence, and a call to response, a call to obedience. This is the plea of the psalmist this morning in Psalm 95. Rejoice. Listen, there's nothing wrong with us expressing that. In fact, it's a good thing. And if the Holy Spirit's touching your heart to say amen during a song, to wave that arm during a song, to to praise God, and you don't do it, it's disobedience. I don't know how many times, at least a dozen or more of you have told me at different times, boy, that song the choir sang today, I just wanted to stand up and shout. I said, well, why didn't you? Because somebody would... Listen, if God's working in your heart... We need that public display of rejoicing the inner workings of God in our hearts when he touches us. And this all leads to a response of obedience. I want to end our service this morning in a different way. Are we good, Eric, with this? Okay, very good. I asked him to show a video, and I don't show videos often, Anytime we have to use the audio video, I'm nervous because Satan likes to mess up audio video things. And, but I, I, I watched a video years ago. How many of you ever heard or seen, or maybe someone's participated in what they call a flash mob? You know what I'm talking about when you hear that, a flash mob? You know, it might be some people in a mall and they just burst out into song and they're going to, somebody's proposing to their girlfriend or something and they use these people, singers and I saw this video years ago. We're going to hear Christmas in August this morning, all right? It's a Christmas video. In fact, when I sent this email to Eric to get it ready, he's like, want to confirm, you want a Christmas flash mob video? I said, yes, I want a Christmas flash mob video today. But I want you to see there's a group of people that do this in a mall. And at first you see people looking around, who's singing, what's going on? And then you see people start turning and watching. And then you see people start participating. And then you see people start bowing their knee and responding. Now, I'm not talking that that's our next new ministry here at Heritage, a flash, flash mob ministry. Kevin, get down that, please. All right. Anybody wants to join, so you'll see Kevin. But... I want you to see how we can respond in worship. It's a little lengthy, about five minutes. I think you'll be blessed. I've watched it a dozen times, and I cry every time. So I imagine you're going to see those tears again. But go ahead, Eric, and let's try to watch this.
I don't know if that touches your heart at all or not, but I do think it would touch God's heart if we learn to rejoice, we learn to have reverence, and we learn to respond. This morning, if you're here today, to begin this journey, it has to start with a heart that's submitted to God, trusting His way of salvation. God provided one means, one way to get to heaven, one way to have a relationship with Him, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He provided for us in His death, burial, and resurrection. And so today I'd encourage you, if you're here, and I'd plead with you if you're here and you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you surrender your heart there first? And then, church, will we learn to be a people that truly learns to worship God through rejoicing, through reverence, and responding. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Our piano is going to come this morning and play a verse of invitation. And it's an opportunity for you to respond today. The Lord's worked in your heart, touched your heart. You've got a need. Why don't you come today? We have folks that will be here at the altar this morning, uh, ready to provide counsel and direction And they'd be loved to pray with you. Or perhaps you just want to pray at the altar on your own. Or perhaps this morning, God's just leading you to just bow your heart and your knee right there at your pew. But you'll be obedient to the Lord today. Perhaps you have a specific decision. Church membership, baptism. We saw two great uh, an example of baptisms this morning. The Lord's been working in your heart about being baptized. Um, uh, Church membership. Or perhaps you're here today and you need to be saved. You need to be born again. However the Lord's worked in your heart today, I'm going to pray and then the piano is going to begin to play. We're going to invite you to respond to the Lord in obedience this morning as God's worked in your hearts. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture, for the thoughts that we have been able to glean from it about rejoicing, about being expressive about you. Not about us, not to highlight ourselves, but Lord, to highlight the Godhead. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that are willing to rejoice, even in a public matter. And then Lord, the reverence, Lord, as you work in our hearts, that we have soft hearts, tender hearts for you to work. And then Lord, to respond to you, to be obedient to you as you work and lead in our lives. Take this invitation now, Lord. Use it for your honor and your glory. Help us to be obedient to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, would you stand this morning? And as the piano begins to play, the Lord's touched your heart. This altar's available. Would you step out this morning and be obedient to the Lord?